Today on the Horror Pod Class, we are talking French New Wave Cinema, Demonic Toddlers, Hail Satan, Load Stars, Kansas City Artists, Hail Satan, Hail Satan, Hail Satan, Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Welcome to episode six, season two of the Horror Pod Class. My name is Tyler Unsel, and in my day job, uh, I'm a teacher. But at night and on my playing period, I write and manage Signal Horizon, a website dedicated to pursuing horror, science fiction, and other genre literature with the same academic rigor that it deserves. And I'm here with my co-host Mike. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Tyler. Uh, I I want to swear before everyone that I am not <laughs> I am not the anonymous New York Times source <laughs> even though I like to use the word lodestone lodestar in it's lodestar, lodestar right. I like to use the word lodestar in just casual conversation that doesn't mean that I'm the guy so or gal we don't we, it could be a gal we don't right. know we why don't are you know. being such a dick I don't know we everybody don't. thinks it's John Hudson anyways let me tell you, you're no John Huntsman. <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't know John Huntsman if he hit me across the face. All right, whatever. You, Tyler Unsel, are no Mike Pence. And that... <laughs> True. And with that... Thankfully. Woohoo. Yeah, with that, let's start talking about uh, some fictional horror instead of real-life horror. Um, <laughs> Tyler, what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you interested about this week? Yeah, this last week has been a crazy, awesome week. So uh, we started out this week by interviewing uh, Oren Gray at the Armor Theater, which is kind of how uh, we first got in contact. And not only is he a brilliant writer, but he's an incredibly nice dude. So look for my interview. He kind of talks about how he became a writer, some of our mutual interests, and probably most importantly, how to stay a writer, how you can make a living doing that. And I think there's some really great stuff to it. So... Uh, I also managed to get an early reader's copy of his newest short story collection, Guignel and Other Sardonic Tales. I I will be the first to tell you, Guignel is absolutely being butchered by me. It is a... It's this, like, French theater uh, from, like, I think, like, the 1800s, where they did, like... Uh, all kinds of gory shows, and it was very body, and I think in, in many ways mirrors the kind of modern horror movie. Mm. So uh, the first few stories I've read in there have been stellar, and you absolutely have to check it out when it comes out in October. So fantastic! I I, I love his yeah. stuff. I lo- I love his stuff. Um, so can you tell me? Uh, uh, not to put you on the spot, but. What's your what's your favorite short? Um, well, I really liked the one that was in Lost Highways. That yeah, was it's so that, good. Uh, it was called I think that was called No Exit. Yep. Okay. Uh, you you liked it probably for the same reason I did. Like there are so many references to the area that we're from. Yeah. You know, like it just feels like it's taking place in my backyard, which makes it terrifying and awesome and just super cool. So go ahead. Hollow Earths. Like that one too. That one uh, that yeah. was in a um, a collection called Cathonic, uh Tales mm-hmm. of the Tales of the Inner Earth, and uh, I really really like that one. Again, and I, I don't know if just because I knew that he's from kind of our area, but in my mind I pictured 
um, a apartment building from where near where I grew up. So, anyways, yeah, that one was really good too. Cool. Very, very, very weird. Very, very out there. I liked it. Liked it a lot. Yeah. So, awesome. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, other stuff that I did this week, I watched The Nun. It was fine. Um, <laughs> that's that's the best I can say for it. It was entertaining. It was exactly as you would expect it to be. So I was not blown away. But if I were you, my recommendation was to check it out on VOD. Don't waste your time at the theater. And the last uh, piece of information, I am watching uh, Noru, which is a Japanese found footage film hmm. that... Uh, that actually Oren Gray turned me on to. It's a part of this whole cycle of found footage movies, and it is really creepy, and you know I have a soft spot for found footage, so it, it is awesome. So. All right, good. What about you? What you got? Well, I just finished uh, Kurt Favre's new uh, uh, single-author collection, Disillusion of Small Worlds. Uh, it's, it's awesome. Uh, he won a... Um, Shirley Jackson Award for one of the short stories that's contained in there called The Convexity of Our Youth. And, uh, cool. yeah, it's a, it's the, the final short story in the collection. And it, it was originally in Looming Low, which is one of the, um, it's one of these collections. It's like, uh, they do one every year, or I think they're going to do one every year. Uh, so Looming Low Volume 1, and I think it's from Dimshore's Press. I'm not sure exactly. The pr- I think it's Dimshore's Press. Anyways, um, it's one of those collections that, like, man, I just keep seeing, you know, it it, uh, it was nominated for Shirley Jackson. I keep seeing things that were originally published in there, and it seems like just a really solid, solid collection. Cool. There. But Kurt, Kurt Favre's Disillusion of Small Worlds is absolutely fantastic. Tyler, you've got to read... Um, uh, the, uh, the convexity of our youth, and um, there's there's a whole bunch of other like really really awesome stuff in there. So you've been hounding me to read that short story. What makes you think that I will be that engaged with this this short? Mm. It is what, what says Tyler to you? And this, I dare I ask. So a lot of it is open to interpretation, and I'm just super interested in what your interpretation of it is. That's it. Oh, yeah. All right, all right. That's that. That's that, that. That that's one of it. I think. I think this sounds right. like one of those things that I'd be like. I think this is what it's about, and you'd be like, "Yeah, that's what dumb people think it's about." <laughs> Here's what I think it's about. I'm not gonna fall for your trap. Actually, I will. I'll read it as soon as we're done here. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well. Anyways, I, I'm uh, I'm I'm halfway through writing a, a review of a Disillusion of Small Worlds right now. It's awesome. Uh, there's gonna be a link in the show notes to it. So. Go out, go out, go out and check his stuff. I'm watching uh, Sharp Objects on HBO. I like Gillian Flynn, okay. And if you don't, uh, we'll fight about it. Is it Gillian or is it Jillian? It's Gillian. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, she's from. She went to KU. Kansas City. Yeah, she went to KU. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. been in town a few times, mm-hmm. and. Uh, she seems super cool, and I, again, we like the local people. Yeah. Would you say that? And I have mixed reviews from kind of our greater community here. Is it a, a series that is horror oriented? Is it adjacent? What What is? I mean, I know nothing about it. I mean, I think it's more. It's probably more more in the thriller 
genre. It's not the kind of stuff that I normally like, which is like supernatural horror, but uh, but it's good. I like her stuff. Um, I would I would put it more in line with um, yeah with 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 thriller type stuff. Um, but uh, I've read I've read all of her books on I, I like her so you know. Cool. Yeah. Rock on. Um, I'll check it out. And uh, Jason Blum is one of the executive producers. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, everything that guy touches is freaking golden. So, uh, and I'm listening to uh, the Changeling by uh, Victor Laval on on Audible, right. and it is uh, it is awesome. It is. It is. I I got I got I got hooked up with uh, Victor Laval uh, because he wrote a novella called uh, The Ballad of Black Tom, which is oh yeah, which is fantastic. Have you read that? I have not, but it got all kinds of acclaim. Yeah, right? it is. It's it's awesome. Uh, maybe uh, we'll. I, I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, another time. It's awesome. The Changeling though is just riveting. And I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know if it's going to go fantasy, if it's going to go horror, if it's not going to go either one of those ways. I have not read anything about it, right? Every time I see something on the internet about it, I avert my eyes. I don't want to know until I <laughs> until I listen to it. So, But it's awesome. No, I love no, it. I mean, no he, spoilers for, uh, for that then. Yeah. So pl- please don't tweet at Mike or me or the Horror <laughs> Podcast. Uh, you know, spoilers to this book because that would be really hilarious, uh, but also really wrong. So, hey, Mike, uh, we have oh, before I before we leave this phase, I am drinking a Ballast Point uh, Oktoberfest, very nice, with the coolest, coolest freaking like October Halloween art ever. I will post a picture of it on the show notes here, but it's awesome. I love Ballast Point, anyways, but. Their Oktoberfest is great, and the art on the bottle is even cooler. So, Sweet. I'm just drinking a Blue Moon. All right, Tyler, uh, what have we got on Dark Corners of the the Net this week? Yeah, there is a great Brian Evanson short story. And if you navigate to theamericanreader.com, the name of the story is A Collapse of Horses. Wow, so, it's it, it amazes me that that is just for free up on the inter- internet because that is that that is a really really good piece of literature right there. Well, and that's he's one of those guys that we have talked about a few times. I don't know if we've reviewed any of his books yet. I'm sure we will, but it is really important, I think, to recognize these incredible authors. And to figure out a way to read a little bit of their literature before you go investing in like a full collection or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah. Because if if you go out and you buy a single author collection based on what some guy said, and then you open it up and you don't like it, like you know, if you don't click with that right. author, it the, the whole thing's gonna suck. You know. Yes, exactly. And you'll feel bad, and that will make you risk adverse in the future. So if if there's anything the podcast is doing. Check out this free stuff, and if you love it, then go buy the stuff, and then, you know, go support these artists, because they really are doing wonderful stuff. You know, we've mentioned Brian Evanson's work before, so take a risk. Go Mm -hmm. spend, you know, 20, 30 minutes reading A Collapse of Horses, and we can't promise you that 
you'll love it. We think you'll love it. <laughs> we both loved it. So, but this way, you know, you can hedge your bet a little bit. And, so and, I, and check I think, it out. And I think it's real indicative of a lot of his other work. So if you like this, I think you're going to like the rest of that collection. Or the, the 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 single author collections named A Collapse of Horses. Um, and I, I, I own that one. And uh, it's really cool because that one and then three of his other books go together. The cover art all goes together to form a picture. Cool. If you if you line all if you put all four of them in a square, it's pretty cool. So so, so, so it's so it's, warning warning if you like a collapse of horses and then you go buy the single author collection that might lead you to buy four other books too. So you know, just saying, watch out. So this is like the horror version of Mad Magazine where you could like <laughs> fold it all up to make it look like a picture. All yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh huh. Very cool. I'm sure he appreciates that comparison. <laughs> he does. Uh, he, do, he, right. does he does. He does great stuff. Better yeah. than Mad Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. infinitely better than Mad Magazine. Although they did great stuff back in the day too. Yeah, we, we digress. We digress. I think it may, it may be time to uh, introduce today's topic. What do you think? Let's do it, Tyler. We're gonna be talking about Rosemary's Baby. It's time to have yeah. a baby, and some French New Wave film. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, today's question will be: What can Rosemary's Baby teach us about? The French and American New Wave of Film. Huh. I didn't even know there was a new wave. All right. We're going to learn something today. Yeah. Ring that bell, buddy. All right, Mike, you want to read the summary for us today? Oh, boy. We didn't... I think most people have probably uh, seen this movie, but if you haven't... Um, here we go. Okay. <laughs> Desirous to start a, uh, to start a family, the young Catholic housewife, Rosemary Woodhouse, she's a lapsed Catholic, by the way. And they, they, they make a point of this in this, uh, in this movie. Um, so she's a lap, lapsed Catholic. Um, and her struggling actor husband guy moved to Bramford. New York's iconic building, which which brims with unpleasant stories of obscure dwellers and ghastly occurrences. Before long, the young couple is befriended by their elderly and somewhat eccentric next-door neighbors. Um, and shortly thereafter, Rosemary unexpectedly gets pregnant. However, little by little, as the inexperienced mother becomes systematically cut off from her circle of friends, alarming hints of a well-planned and sinister conspiracy begin to emerge. Enfolding, enfolding Rosemary in a shroud of suspicion and mental a- a- agony. In the end, why is everyone so conveniently eager to help? Furthermore, why is Guy, that's his real name, Guy, allowing it? Wow. All right. Hey, Guy, why are you allowing why it? Why are you allowing yeah. it, Guy? Yeah. Jeez, oh, Louise. Hey, uh, we should mention Guy is played by uh, the kind of incomparable, really great, actor John Cassavetes mm-hmm. and uh, the titular Rosemary is played by none other than Mia Farrow. So, yeah. And it's this directed by, Oh, Roman Polanski. Yeah, of course. exactly. Roman, Roman Polanski, who is, in Ro- ge- who is in general, yeah. a degenerate human being and, uh, <laughs> yep. and certified convicted rapist. But, um, you know, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, he's not, not, a, not a wonderful dude. Yeah. Um, and he keeps running his mouth, yeah. too, as of late. But, you know, the, this, this movie is definitely a, 
uh, a piece of... You said, you said run in his mouth. Like, if you saw him at the bar, you would, like, get into a fight with him. Like, keep running your mouth, Roman. Yeah. Keep running, running your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Long story short, me, uh, again... Uh, oh, geez. Sue him, not me. I don't have any money. Uh, yeah, like, we, again, Roman Polanski be one of those guys that we have no idea uh, if he was actually at the bar, because... Uh, I mean, we vaguely know what he looks like, but <laughs> not in any kind of formal way. Yeah, right on. Um, but but yeah, no. I mean, this is this is a piece of uh, treasured American cinema right here. Um, I mean, it really is. I think. Yeah, I think I think it's it's in the um, oh the Library of Congress, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I mean, it's in the Criterion Collection, you know, on and on. Right. Um, and I think I think that this is a real. Really sets the stage for a lot of other uh, horror movies that, that come that come after it. Um, yeah, it, it definitely. If we were to like create a list of must see movies to like an alien that came down and was like, tell me about your you know the the horror genre. <laughs> this would I I think be in in most people's top ten. Maybe not yeah. top ten best horror movies ever made, but certainly like definitive of the genre, or at least yeah. you know. Um, a pretty significant chunk of the of the genre. Yeah. So, so we're going to talk about French New Wave and American New Wave yeah. cinema. I think it's I think it bears mentioning that um, this movie I think is a very very clear example, like the movie that we watched uh, that we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, Amityville Horror, is a yep. great example of kind of the new American Gothic because there's t- there's tons of Gothic kind of influences in this. Um, in this, uh, in this, this movie. Oh yeah, including um, a, there's a there, and I'll link to it in the show notes. There's a really interesting um, article that I found, and it's in Time Magazine. So um, cool. So Time Magazine was running this kind of uh, uh, 50th anniversary of Rosemary's Baby or whatever, and they they reprinted um, this uh, the the original review that they printed back in. Uh, 1968, and um, so the reviewer erroneously referred to the to the apartment building as Branford, and not Bramford, uh, right? Uh. So, so um, Ira Levin, the uh, the author of the novel, wrote him a letter and said, "Excuse me, in your review you said it was Branford. It's not. It's Bramford, and um, that's a reference to Bram Stoker." Interesting. Yeah. So making uh, a real conscious choice to, you know, kind of throw back to even older horror. And I think there's probably some comparisons to be made from the, I think her name is Lucy in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. I could be making that up. Mm. Uh, Please don't think less of me. Uh, (laughs) I have taught English before and I don't remember this. Uh, But. Between the lead character, the the female ingenue in, in Bram Stoker's Dracula, and, you know, uh, Rosemary from Rosemary's Baby, they both kind of have that um, damsel in distress, easily persuaded by a, an evil, definitely out of our element, because I think that's one of the things that Rosemary's Baby does a really nice job of, is Rosemary feels incredibly isolated, despite the fact that she's in you know, the biggest city in, in North America, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, of course you've got, you know, other Gothic influences too. You know, you've got the, the architecture itself, you've got the, um, demonic 
stuff that's going on. But most importantly, you've stuff, got demonic stuff, demonic stuff. You know, you know, you, you got you got some demonic, uh, you know, stuff going on up in there. Um, but most importantly, you've got the the old uh, gothic uh, fallback, which is the uh, the hidden passage. Yeah, you know. Yes. So, so, but well, but but the, a, and I th- go ahead. I, I mean, I was I was going to mention the building, right? We oh, were talking yeah. about the uh, Bramford. I, I loved the Gothic architecture. I love the idea of this ancient uh, apartment building that still had people living in it uh, that were old and had been there forever and seen a lot. And the building itself reminded me of, you've seen Devil's Advocate, right? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. There is There are so many times where we meet neighbors or where something just seems a little off in the scene with the architecture or whatever that really reminded me of Rosemary really reminded me of Marianne Lomax, who's played by Charlize Theron. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And devil's advocate, which is another one of our favorite, uh-huh. but the, there were, it just, I don't know. Those connections became even more prominent when we were talking about the architecture. So. Hmm. Hey, uh, just to digress for just a minute, um, devil's advocate. You want to know some, some, some neat devil's advocate trivia. Uh, look, but don't touch, touch, <laughs> touch, but don't taste, <laughs> taste, but don't swallow. I think is what he says Something at the like end. That. Something like that. Gross. Al Pacino. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Um, no, the, and so not the building that they live in, but the building that, um, you know, the guy from, from coach that, that murdered his daughter. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the building that yes. he lives in, they show, they, they, they show the interior of his apartment. Right, Craig T. Nelson. Craig, is his name. Okay, yeah. Craig T. Yeah. Nelson. So that apartment is all done out in all this garish kind of stuff, right? It's crazy, right? Do you know who owned that apartment when they shot it? No, Donald Trump. Shut your mouth. Yes, that's Trump's apartment. If you want to know what Trump's personal taste in decor is, watch that movie. For real. So what you're For telling reals. me is, uh, so if if I'm if I'm right, that Craig T. Nelson character is like super gross, right? Like he killed his wife, and there's an allusion to, like, is he having an affair with like his stepdaughter or I, something weird? I haven't, I haven't seen it in a while, but yeah, it's weird. And yeah, that guy's gross. And, so uh, what you're trying to tell me is Craig T. Nelson. Was a stand-in for Donald Trump. I don't. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when they needed to <laughs> film a movie with That's an ostentatious, um, you know, uh, apartment in New York City, they you re- heard it first. You heard it first, folks. Mike's argument is Craig T. Nelson's character, Alexander Cullen, is a stand-in for Donald Trump in The Devil's Advocate. Interesting. I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. In truth, truth is my lodestar. Tyler is my lodestar. <laughs> All right, back to Rosemary's Baby. I'm super interested to hear about uh, American New Wave. All right. Yeah. So, so what what so, is it, and, and where did it start, and how can we how can we define it? Yeah, uh, the perfect place to start. The Taste of Cinema has a really wonderful article out discussing uh, American New Wave cinema through the eyes of Rosemary's Baby. Okay, and. 
the first thing that they mention about new wave cinema in general is the idea that new wave often is scary, right? It uses uh, negative imagery, negative ideas. It's not very happy, right? And its creation is a response to the kind of like happy-go-lucky musical cinema that, you know, Hollywood created before French and American new wave. So, like the the first test, the first question is: Is Rosemary's Baby negative? I I e is it scary in its development, and does it end? Does it end in a negative fashion? That's mm. the important part. Okay. So does it does it does it have a happy ending? And I think mm. you and I both can. Oh, well, mm. let's let, let's listen to let's listen to exactly how this one ends. God is dead. Hey, Satan lives. lives. The year is one. Why don't you help us out, Rosemary? Yeah, so it definitely ends on a on a downer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of positive that can be. I mean, here's the bottom line: both of us have kids. Babies are awful in general, <laughs> let alone. If they're the actual child of Satan, I mean, mm-hmm. that the, there's no way that baby's not going to have colic, right? There's yeah. no way. There's just not enough virginal blood out there to, you know, mix with breast milk. Oh my whatever. god! And you know, so. I mean, cutting a baby's toenails are are, are are difficult to begin with. Cloven hooves. Ooh. Oh my gosh! What do you use for that? Yeah. Yeah. All right, all right. Garden shears? Like, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah. All right, so, okay. So what else, uh, what What are other characteristics of, of the new wave in, in cinema? Sure. Uh, they typically tackle some sort of social issue of the day. Mm. So whether it be, you know, um, like the rise of fascism or freedom of the press, or at least in this context, we really see the discussion of women, of, um, you know, a woman's role in marriage, a woman's role in society, in that kind of third and fourth wave feminism that's kind of uh, shining through here. So that very clearly it fits, uh, we can check that box off because it's got a lot to say, don't you think? Oh, I think, I think it does. I, um, and if, I think if you want to know more about that, there's a terrific and relatively short uh, HuffPost article by a guy named uh, Scott Poole. It's called uh, Rosemary's Baby and, Baby and the Politics of Women's Bodies. Um, he is a uh, college prof- professor. I don't know. I don't know where. But he, he mentions that he teaches a class entitled The Devil in the Western World, which, man, huh. our university sucked because I don't remember yeah. anything that cool being taught at our university. But anyways. Hey, at, at Truman State University, I distinctly remember there being a class called the Faust tradition all about, Oh really? Uh, you know, oh, yeah. Faust okay. literature. So right. don't knock old Truman. All it's right. got some decent stuff. Okay. And I did, I did t- take a class all about nuclear weapons, but you know, it was Truman state after all. Of course you did. Yeah. yeah of so, um, anyways, anyways, he talks about how, um, Rosemary's baby is an important part of that, of a, that class and about how there's, there's always, um, some some of his female students that really identify with Rosemary's Baby, and he kind of talks about why and talks about some of the some of the different things that um, were going on politically at the time of when Rosemary's Baby came out, and kind of how some of them are coming back around again. 
right? So it's a great Ooh. read. He's also got a book coming up um, this October called Wasteland, The Great War and the Origin of Modern Horror that I've got to read. So cool. More, yeah. more, more on that when it comes out. I love that. Well, you know, from what you're telling me in that article is if we're coming back around to that and, you know, we're ab- about to vote for a new Supreme Court justice, which, you know, theoretically could overturn, you know, Roe v. Wade and a whole other number of issues that we haven't really had to deal with for 50 years. What you're telling me is Blumhouse needs to remake Rosemary's Baby next year. Jason Blum, if you're listening, <laughs> find a really badass female director and remake Rosemary's Baby yeah. for 2019 or 20. Yeah. You know, I, I think, did I think you, we're ready. Did you know Rosemary's Baby had a sequel? Yes, Rosemary's uh, Toddler, which was even worse. That kid cried all the time over stupid stuff. He, uh, he hit people. Oh, I know. Yeah, he big he people in class. In his, oh. He kept shitting in his pull-up. Yeah. It was the yeah. it was the worst. No, no, I'm serious. It's it was a made-for-TV movie that came out in 19, oh. 1976. It, it it was called Look What Happened to Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> it for was real. universally derided as as garbage. So we're yeah. not going to talk about it. Back to French New Wave, Tyler. Back on task. Back on task. Yes. Thank, what, thank you for that. Redirection, yeah. your teacher, Mike. What are, what are some other uh, aspects, aspects of, uh, of new wave cinema? New wave cinema, yeah. Sure. Um, the big thing that I think you and I both really love about new wave cinema is the idea of ambiguity. Uh, it really uses it as a plot device, like what is going on? We don't really know. Um, also, with the idea that the viewer is often just as uninformed as the characters are. So, uh, in some film, we as the audience know more than the characters do, and that helps create suspense and helps kind of drive action and get the audience to participate. In New Wave stuff, the audience is just as ambiguous about the meaning of particular events and, uh, in this particular instance, just as ambiguous about the ending of the movie. I mean, clearly, it's the things are not great for Rosemary, but... We don't know what her role is going to be. We only get to see the baby kind of in in side profile a little bit. And the things are hardly what we would call resolved. So in that context, French New Wave really uh, works hard to drive home that ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, and I like when the when we finally get to the ending and we do collapse... Uh, like the ambiguity that we've built throughout. Like, is this real? Is this in our head? Is it, Are these things really happening? You know, that kind of, we collapse all that, right? We collapse that ambiguity, but we're presented with a whole new, you know, uh, yeah. ambiguous state at the end. So, yeah, that's cool. Well, a whole new shit show. Yeah. Yeah, so that kind of, that wraps up French New Wave. And, and obviously it's way more complex than that, but if we were going to try to boil it down to some talking points... The big difference between French New Wave and American New Wave is the French like are way more comfortable with violence, are way more comfortable with nudity, are way more comfortable with sexuality. So French New Wave really pushed the boundary in those particular avenues 
Hollywood and American New Wave were cowards. You know, they they pushed it a little bit, but not mm-hmm. nearly the way the French did. So you get these, you know, uh, these tamer versions of what's going on in French culture. These censored, slightly removed versions that are a little more passable in modern culture. You know, like people still went to see Rosemary's Baby. There was a lot of French new wave cinema that unless you were into French new wave cinema, you would not have gone and seen it would not have been. It it was not popular in, in the same sense that, you know, Rosemary's baby was, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't palatable in suburban Missouri is what you're telling me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Very, very little is man. Whatever. Uh, yeah. So, that is the discussion of new wave cinema. And I think we could probably talk about a lot of different examples all day long, but there are some really interesting things that Rosemary's baby does plot wise that I think harken back to last week's episode. Oh yeah. And so, so last week's episode was about um, the complex discovery plot. Let's uh, you know what? Let's just knock this one down. Let's take let's take a, like two minutes and knock this one down on the complex discovery plot. All right. So so complex discovery plot starts with the onset, right? Do we really have an onset in this movie? Uh, mm. yeah. I mean, I think when she gets, in fact, I bet we can find. Let's play that clip where she gets introduced to the apartment. Are you aware that the Bramford had rather an unpleasant reputation around the turn of the century? It's where the Trench sisters conducted their little dietary experiments. And Keith Kennedy held his parties. Adrian Mercado lived there too, so did Pearl A. the Trench sisters. The Trench sisters were two proper Victorian ladies. They cooked and ate several young children, including a niece. Oh, lovely. Adrian Mercado practiced witchcraft. He made quite a splash in the 90s by announcing that he'd conjured up the living devil. Apparently, people believed him, so they attacked and nearly killed him in the lobby of the Bramford. You're joking. Later, the Keith Kennedy business began, and by the 20s, the house was half empty. Yeah, I I think that you could probably... We get the sense that something's wonky from, from minute one. Yeah. If not that exact moment... Like, she starts to have, like, nightmares and visions of what's to come. I think I think it probably the onset would be when everybody is, it, when, when we hear all the allusions to what has previously happened in the Bromford, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we could call it, I'd, buy that. I'd, say, I'd say maybe a light onset, right? Um, yeah, and here here's the bottom line. Nothing is more onset than, like, being pregnant, right? Yeah, that that perhaps may no, I don't think that's a discovery, but like I don't know, early onset pregnancy. Oh shit. No, now you're pregnant. Now stuff's about to go down. So. <laughs> okay. Now, obviously most of this movie is the discovery, right? It's yep. the um uh as as she learns more about the conspiracy. Um but I think it has. I think it has an inf- an interesting um, confirmation where she tries to 
get other people maybe involved. She tries to like convince other people all to no avail. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, a really famous uh, phone booth scene where she is kind of reaching out. You know, she's trying to get help. I don't know if I would necessarily call that confirmation, but that she's certainly looking for it, you know, and, and she's, she's going, she realizes something is strange is amiss and, you know, is, is looking for help. So well, certainly. Well, I think, I think that, I think that like the last part confrontation, the confirmation is, is really, um, doesn't come to fruition. Right. I mean, she tries, she tries, but it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't work out like it does in other movies. Just like the confrontation at the end when she goes in there with the that that big knife and is ready to I don't know like finally figure this thing out and and and, and I, I confront something it just kind of fizzles out so yeah right yeah fizzles out because they say like uh, something like if I remember right uh, he's got your eyes or something like that and I was mm-hmm. like oh Jesus oh no no no. She says, uh, what have you done to his eyes? Yeah. Yeah, it's eyes. Yeah, it's 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 a hell of a line. That thing's dark. Woof. Yeah. And yeah. I mean I mean and that's that's her ultimate moment of discovery when she knows for a fact that this is oh, know, yeah. the devil's the devil's Shit. baby. Yeah. And that and that and that discovery actually kind of shuts down the whole confrontation. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's, kind, it's it's kind of interesting. You know, another interesting way to look at this uh, to look at this movie. Um, I went back and uh, you know you know a book that I really like is um, the Philosophy of Horror by Noel Carroll, and yeah. uh, I kind of wanted to know what he had to say about it. And uh, it's kind of interesting because he, he references it a couple times, but um, he references 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 it specifically when he's talking about um, kind of the purpose of horror. Right. And he. Okay. Uh, so, so essentially, he's trying to, he's trying to parse out kind of what horror is all about. Right. And he says that, you know, there's some people that say that the, that the backbone of horror is the plot structure normal, abnormal, normal again. Right. So, right. so we're given this normal world, everything is nice, and then something abnormal happens, and then we have to put it back to normalcy again. And there's a return to normalcy at the end, and that that is nece- that makes horror necess- necessarily regressive. So, oh, I, I I totally buy that. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Okay. So he says, which, that- which is really I think fascinating. Not to cut you off for a moment, but you know we have always maintained on this show, especially. The power of horror is that can be so transgressive, mm-hmm. right? But it sounds like Carol's making the exact opposite argument that when they become morality plays, they they inherently become regressive. I love that. That's that's interesting. Well, so so that's so that that's one um, kind of viewpoint that he sets up. But then he says he see hey he says you know look over here right. So sure, most horror movies take that tact. Okay. But there's a significant enough minority that um, go abnormal, normal, abnormal. You never get fucking normal again, right? And in this is is a prime example. Rosemary's Baby is a prime example, right? Of yep. nor- normalcy never getting put back together again. Um, 
there's a significant amount of horror movies that are that way that you can't say that all horror movies are one way or the other. I mean, this isn't just like ones or twos. That's a lot of them. And then he goes back and he says, this isn't a new thing either. You know, he goes all the way, he goes back to some more classical works and he says, you know, this doesn't, so, so it can't be this naturally regressive putting normalcy back together again, because that doesn't always happen. Um, and then he says, you know, a lot of people point to that as proving that, you know, maybe it's, you know, more progressive, horror can be more progressive or more empowering. His ultimate conclusion is that it can kind of be both in that you can't really pin it down to, uh, to one thing. Interesting. Yeah, well, and so. in, in the context that we never have normal again, I assume you've seen Prince of Darkness, right? Yeah, uh, yes. So, it and, and not just the satanic, you know, uh, similarities between the two, but the idea that shit has gone south, and there is no way to correct the fact that stuff has gone south. Mm-hmm. I think is a really interesting take on. And if I, I, I dare say the logical extension would be the kind of post-apocalyptic, you know, evolution that we have seen of the last five, 10, 15 years, you know, like the, the, the best way to ensure that stuff is never normal again is to make all of civilization <laughs> go away, you yeah. know? And it, it also kind of reminds me of kind of the new weird. I know we return back to that, but. The idea that, oh, in in some ways, maybe I'm, oh, digressing a little bit, because I finished John Langan's short story compilation, and he's got notes on all of his short stories, and he's got a short story that's all about the kind of Cthulhu mythos, mm-hmm. and it's brilliant and, and great and, and pretty short, but he talks about how like he was really interested in not the battle, but like what happens after everyone realizes it's never going to be normal again, you know? And the people that are kind of sitting out on the periphery of that, watching it all happen and still trying to live their lives. So I love the idea Hmm. that the, the new normal is that it's never going to be normal again. I love that idea. Yeah. I just, I, I think it's, I think it's important to, I guess, kind of remember that, 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 that kind of concept of not being able to put the genie back in the bottle, you know, not being able, not being able to defeat the horror at the end. Um, that that's not really like, like a new thing. Right. I think that it comes in waves and I think that we're probably in a wave where this, and, and we talked earlier about how Rosemary's baby, you know, it's got some more cultural rel- relevance now. I think that, that, uh, not being able to return to the old normalcy really, uh, I don't know, really, really kind of resonates right now. I mean, you think about all like the creature features and all that other kind of stuff, you know, it's always, you know, return to normalcy after <clears throat> some good strong jawed, you know, white dudes in uniform show up and take control of the situation. So, uh, well, but, and I would maybe even make the argument like society tends to reflect the, the, epoch that it's in you know so right now i don't care if you're conservative or liberal you can talk to anybody and they feel like we are in a state of flux 
Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know what's going to come next. So our horror tends to reflect that. In the 80s, we had more of that regressive horror where we had these slasher flicks that the the evil was knowable and the evil was beatable and we beat it at the end. So things literally went back to normal. I think a lot of our horror, like the stuff that we've reviewed on Signal Horizon this year that we've really liked, like Hereditary, shit ain't normal at the end. Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert. Shit ain't normal at the end of Hereditary, you know? Yeah. Well, and really, I mean, I was trying to think about this about this earlier today. Really, horror is the only place, maybe sometimes in science fiction, but horror is really the only place where you can have the bad guy win at the end, right? Like, imagine um, the movie Top Gun, where at the end, um, you know, Maverick gets shot down, and uh, you know, the, the 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 Russian guy flying the MiG wipes his ass with the American flag, right? That that would that 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 can't happen. You right? really don't like Donald Trump. <laughs> he's not nah, like he's, I, he he he's my he's my lodestar. <laughs> no, I I think you're absolutely right. It gives you the ability to picture a world where the bad guys win. You know, and I think that asks very interesting questions of the audience. And asks very interesting questions about cinema in general. You know, can you imagine, uh, you know, uh, a Dirty Dozen where they, they're, they're not successful? Or a Seven Samurai where if there were ten, things would have ended differently? <laughs> you know, like... Well, you know, a, a Seven are... Samurai where they all just run away or something. Yeah, Right, yeah, no, exactly, yeah. exactly. I think that, like... A, an action movie would be really, really short if Steven Seagal and Under Siege was like, fuck this, and like, you know, just pretended to to be a regular guy the whole time, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. I, I, it's a, interesting. Yeah. Or, I dig that. Yeah. I, yeah. So, I don't know. Hey, the, put put it down. Put it down. Oh, no. Is it is it an anonymous Amazon customer again? It's uh, he brought us an apple this time. Oh, uh, interesting, huh? Yeah. Wait, half of this shit is bruised. I think he threw it against the wall. Oh, and it's a red delicious too. Nobody likes those. Ew. They're mealy yeah, those are, and they're they're garbage. Yeah. They're garbage. Garbage yeah. apples. No one wants. No one wants your garbage apples. Anonymous Amazon user. Well, but I uh, think it's. Go ahead. They they do have they do have something to say about this movie. Tyler, what does uh, anonymous Amazon user have to say about this particular movie? This has got to be the most overrated horror movie I've ever seen. It's just boring, drawn out, and about a woman being pregnant up until pretty much the very end. There's literally nothing scary about it. There's only two scenes involving anything remotely demonic. One of which was totally a dream. The scene at the end of the with the coven is totally cringeworthy. The crying is insanely overdramatic. And each Hail Satan, which you all heard earlier, was less convincing than the last. I get that people were easily frightened. Misspelled, by the way. <laughs> in the 1960s, but I failed to see how... Frightened and... But I failed to see how anyone could find this even mildly entertain, entertaining, let alone scary. Wow. Huh. Boo. Boo. Yeah, no, this... 
Ah, well... I mean, maybe we shouldn't have showed it to class with, uh, you know, like the the old hi-fi reels, you know, <laughs> in... With the old film strip, maybe that was too much, but well, and I and I think that this came before the maybe not the invention of, but definitely the proliferation of the jump scare, which I think a lot of youngsters, kids these days, think is uh, a horror movie, right? It's just a bunch of jump scares, but oh, listen, listen to you getting uh, getting your get off my lawn argument. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, not to totally digress, but Oren Gray and I had a great conversation about how a jump scare by itself is not inherently a bad thing. It is a wonderful tool that should be part of a larger arsenal of a horror movie. Yeah. It's just when you devolve a horror movie down into only jump scares that it, you know, or only whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That it becomes pretty one-dimensional, which is yeah. less than great. So when Jason Blum remakes um, this movie, remakes uh, um, Rosemary's Baby, maybe throw in a couple jump scares, you know, right? A, 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 but, a, but don't become overly reliant on mm-hmm. them. Yeah. All right, Jason. Hopefully so, you're listening. Um, right. So this this fan, movie fan of the podcast. Yeah, fan of the podcast. I'm sure. So. Um, this movie really did just spawn so many other movies, right? Um, the Omen, I think, is probably the Omen series. Yep. You know, yeah, um, that's great. The uh, uh, so not not to bring things full circle, but there is a really famous decapitation scene in the Omen, or at yeah. least in my mind, there is. There, there is, yeah, right. And that reminds me of. Uh, the tremendous John Langan short story, uh, Mother of Stone. <laughs> yeah. I thought I thought about the Omen the entire time that 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 uh, short story was going on. I listened to it uh, on Audible. So, but oh my gosh, that's a, that's a, that's a good one, man. That's a, that's a, Mother Mother of Stone is is fantastic. You know, you know, you can get um, the the name of that book is uh, the Wide Carnivorous Sky. You can get that yep. on. Um, Kindle Unlimited. Can you believe that? No shit. That's yes. crazy. Yes. My gosh. Talk about the biggest deal in Amazon right now is horror literature on Kindle Unlimited. Yeah. We, and I, I did, I did, uh, like five books on Kindle Unlimited that are actually, uh, five horror books that are actually worth it. I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, Wide Carnivorous Sky is not on there because, uh. I hadn't read it yet. I hadn't. I hadn't gotten it off Kindle Unlimited yet. But, uh, but no, that's that's definitely a definitely one to one to pick up. Um, if you want to do Kindle Unlimited, man, you've got, man, you can read all week, all month, all year some of the great stuff that's on there. You just gotta wade through all the junk. So yeah, so you got to be very specific in what you're looking for. We'll send you a link to it. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe here in the next week or two, we got to, there's so much good stuff. You need to get out there and get us another article about the stuff that we need to, I mean, I'm amazed. This is like the third episode in a row that you're like, hey, check this out on Kindle Unlimited. Yeah, I think, I think that, I think the book that we talked about earlier, Cathonic, I think that's on Kindle Unlimited too. Not, not positive, I'll, I'll go check. So anyways, so. This movie does kind of fit into like Christian horror, which I think is a is a big thing right now, right? 
Um, yeah. The, the, there's the nun just came out. Um, there's there's the whole the whole conjuring series, which all has demons in it that are you know Christian horror, not my, my not my favorite kind of subgenre, but you know whatever. It's, it's super popular right now. Um, yeah. Well, and I think is a genre that feels like it could be narrow is actually pretty pretty wide. You know, like there's a lot of stuff that I mean I would still consider hereditary probably in that same genre just because of its use of you know kind of satanic possession or you know like there's some other shit that goes into that movie. So oh, that at the yeah. very least, it's adjacent to that. Oh, and there's there's this whole Satanism thing. I mean, satanic. You know, believe it or not, this satanic panic. And I, I would I would love. I think I think we ought to do a um, an episode sometime all about a kind of the Satanism in 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 the in the media and in and in films and uh, the satanic panic. I mean, all that stuff. You know, I mean, I thought I thought that was all kind of like kind of like buried I thought that the 80s and the 90s that like all that satanic panic stuff was done man if you go look in and I'm not going to link to any of this garbage but if you go on YouTube and just start looking at some conspiracy theories it's going to take you exactly two clicks to get on some you know you know the 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 Freemasons are run by Satanists and you know there's a satanic coven in the basement of a pizza joint somewhere and you know whatever so oh I believe you were talking about uh, uh, what? Uh, it's not Cosmos Pizza. What's that place called? Yeah, it's. I think it was Cosmic yeah. Cosmic Pizza. Yeah, yeah no, I mean there's there's all yeah. kinds of there's all kinds of conspiracy theories about about that. It's a uh, satanic panic is live and well is alive and well, guaranteed. That that is very true, and and you you well, don't even, you don't even have to go to Alex Jones to get that. You you can get it from him. There's plenty of other places to get it too. So that kind of that kind of garbage is still out there. So this 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 is going to be an important important subgenre in horror for the foreseeable oh, future. Yeah. That's for sure. For sure, for sure. All right, buddy. What are we going to be talking about next week? Well. I think maybe we'll leave Satanic Panic uh, for a future episode, but I think next week we should talk all about holiday horror. We are getting close to the holidays, and it's a we time. Are. It's a time to be close to the ones that you love and sit around a fire and you know turn the lights and, down and, low and and physically hold your hearts yeah, or their <laughs> hearts in your hand. Yeah, and watch some good should. and watch some good holiday horror. You know, what's your favorite holiday horror, Tyler? Please tell oh, me it's Thanksgiving. No, no. Actually, one of the first slasher films I ever saw was April Fool's Day. Mm. It's so good. It's so good. It's like this 80s, uh, it might even be 70s, like slasher, terrible, awful movie. But it's got some of the best cover art in the entire world. <laughs> and the, the cover art will stay with me forever. What about you, buddy? Um, I either like I, I I really like Silent Night Deadly Night. I oh, think, that's great! I think I yes. think that's great, and and really, uh, it just got so much history behind it. You know, there's this uh, there's this uh, this uh, Siskel and Ebert review of it where it's just it's just scathing, and they're basically like, "Yeah, this movie is everything that is wrong in the world." And you go yes, back and you watch I it now, and you're that. like, "Yeah, it like it ain't that big of a deal." 
you know. Right. I mean, things, man, stuff in the 80s, man. Everybody thought Ozzy Osbourne was like the the death knell to society and now look he's got a he's got his own He could he could run for president and he win could, he despite could. the fact that he's what, you know, uh uh, an 80 year old adult drug addict. No offense, Ozzy. Yeah. Mean, you're a great I dude. Think, yeah. He's probably British too, isn't he? Anyways. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I, th- I thought so. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Well, that, that, that important thing too. I'd change the constitution so he could become a uh, president. Anyways, <laughs> we digress. Of course you would. Until next time. Until next time, Tyler. Class dismissed. Class dismissed.